and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. Many of you know by now we are in a season of creation where we're looking at creation as it appears throughout the scriptures. And you know, many of you, that there are two distinct creation stories at the very beginning of our Bible. This is not a mistake for which some junior-level editor was sat a long time ago, right? It wasn't an accident. Why are there two stories? We don't know. There are no editor's notes that tell us why, but I think your best guess is probably good enough, which is that these two stories are different. And because they are different, they tell us different things about who we are, about how we relate to the creation around us, and about who is the God who created all of this. So listen, if you will, to the second creation story in our scripture from Genesis in the second chapter. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, and yet a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the human, from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the human whom God had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and everything that is good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishan. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now the Lord God took the human and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it, and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the human, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good. It is not good that the human should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the human to see what he would call them. And 
whatever the human called every living creature, that became its name. The human gave names to all cattle and to birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the human there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the human, and he slept. Then God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the human, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said this, At last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. The word of God for you, the people of God. We read Genesis 1 last week, and it is so orderly so magisterial, it's like a great cathedral in text. Six days, everything gets made just so, and you human beings are the pinnacle of creation. You are made in the image of God to rule over the earth. And God in Genesis 1 is a benevolent creator, although let's be honest, God is also a bit remote in Genesis 1. The second story flips that script entirely. Instead of chaos and water in Genesis 1, Genesis 2 has farmland, and it is dry and barren at the beginning. And then a a mist rises from the now wet earth, and the Lord God forms the human being from the dust of the ground and breathes into the human nostrils the breath of life. And the human becomes a living being. Here God creates human beings not last, not at the end, but at the very beginning. We are the first thing in creation. In Genesis 1, the human is the capstone of creation. In Genesis 2, you are the foundation of creation. This is a much earthier dustier, dirtier story. It even begins with God digging in the dirt. Even our name, Adam, seems like a proper name. We call people Adam, but it's taken from the Hebrew Adama, which means dirt or even topsoil. In this story, you are a farmer, And Genesis 2 is clear. We don't rule over the creation as in Genesis 1. We are here to serve the creation. After you are made, God plants a garden and puts you in the garden. And your job is to take care of the garden. For sure, the garden is here for you to enjoy. If you walk outside this morning, it's as plain as day. The beauty of creation is is all for you to enjoy. But make no mistake, the earth serves you so long as you serve it first. 
The role of the human being is different in Genesis 2, but God is different too. After we're created and placed in this garden, something weird happens in Genesis 2, verse 18. God looks and sees that something is missing, right? In Genesis 1, nothing is ever missing, right? You read that story, and and there's not a hair out of place. God gets everything exactly right in Genesis 1, one bold master stroke after another. But in Genesis 2, it's almost like God is figuring this out as God is going along. The human being, this new farmer, certainly is a good thing, but but who knew this thing would be so lonely, so needy? In Genesis 1, chaos is the impetus for creation. Chaos, the presence of chaos, moves God to act. But in Genesis 2, loneliness, our loneliness, seems to be the impetus for God's creative action. So God gets to work. And God makes things, fashioning more and more living beings, more and more ensouled beings, animals and insects and birds, and all of these things are good. It's just that they don't fix human loneliness. That deep hunger that you have and that I have, that all of us share, The hunger to know and be known by another human being like us. A hunger that's so fierce it surprises even God. So God puts the human being to sleep, the very first case of anesthesia in action. And God draws out a rib, and from that rib is made for the human a partner And each of them are good, and both of them together are so good. Bone of bone and flesh of flesh, they are naked and they are not ashamed. There is so much to love in this second creation story. Like children, we're not supposed to have favorites in biblical stories, right? I guess. But I do. This one is my favorite. I prefer it. How many of you uh, do a bit of gardening in your own lives? Raise your hand up high. Eh, A fair number of you. (laughs) A fair number of you are gardeners. For those of us who like that kind of thing, there is nothing like good dirt. Am I right? Yeah, right? You get in there, and the, the warmth of it, and the smell of it, and the wetness of it, good dirt is alive and life-giving. So to us, it is no surprise to find out that we belong to the dirt, and the dirt belongs to us. But isn't this also a message that we need now, at this time of impending climate catastrophe? The earth in Genesis 2 is not other. It is not an object, this soil that we live on for us to master and manipulate. The earth is you, and you are here to serve the earth. Isn't it our task, your task as individuals, and our task together as the people of God to get closer now to the earth and and to see the ways that this earth is here to feed us and sustain us. 
for you to get closer to the earth at this time in our life together surely will help us to be able to identify some of the ways that we have been harming the earth and will show us some of the ways that we can heal it. You probably know this, but most of what passes for agriculture in this country is a hot mess, right? A good farm. A basic principle of a good farm is that a good farm should renew its soil with diverse crops and manure, maintaining that fertility for generations and generations. But our industrialized farming system strips the soil of its organic fertility and replaces it with synthetic fertilizers that are mined from the hills or produced with fossil fuels. The wastes from our farms aren't generative. They're not healthy. Farm waste pollutes the manure from large-scale animal operations, and the fertilizer runoff from corn and soybean monocrops poisons waterways. It creates something we now call dead zones in our waters. Agriculture, the way we do it now, contributes to global warming rather than mitigating it. It does not have to be this way between us and our soil. A closer, more intimate relationship with the soil will show us how growing food and eating food can be good for us and good for the earth and for the climate. How many of you know the name Wendell Berry? Oh, good, a good number of you. So if you didn't raise your hand, don't be ashamed. Just go home and in the Google machine type Wendell Berry, and good things will start appearing. He is a, a farmer and a writer and a Christian who has been a kind of a modern-day prophet for many people of a number of things, including a which is good soil. Barry will say that getting close to the land is, is part of a whole life ethic that prioritizes for us what is tactile and relational. Barry says this, he says, we are trustworthy as human beings only so far as we can see. And what he means by that is that our connection to the things that are most immediate around us matter most of all. Our connections to the land underneath our very feet, to the watersheds in which the rain that falls on our heads will pour, and to the particular people around us who make up our neighborhoods and our families. We need, Barry says, an immediate and a palpable sense of, of what is sustaining us and what good or harm we are doing to it in return. Our vision is to create beloved community. That kind of community depends on the sympathy and the moral imagination that flourishes through our contact and touch. That's a fancy way of saying that putting your hands in the soil, getting dirt under your fingernails, or putting your feet in the running waters of a local creek are as fundamental to your ethical life as holding hands with the people you love. And speaking of contact and speaking of love, how wonderful and tender is the relationship between all of the living beings in Genesis 2 and the God who creates them. 
God creates and creates and creates and creates in Genesis 2 all of the good and the beautiful and the lovely things in our world. But did you notice the reason why? It's so that human beings like you will have friends. The reason for this world and its abundance and the abundance of life around us is so that we will not feel lonely. Anyone ever had a dog? Right? You know that something about this is deeply true. Anyone ever walked in the woods by yourself and felt anything but lonely, knowing that the creation is here as your companion? And yet, as the story also says, each time one of these new companions is created, it was at the same time good and yet also a failure. Every one of the animals in the world is promised uh, as a remedy for our loneliness. But after each one is made, we are still alone. So God makes us partner. It is then when, when we have a partner, for the first time in the presence of another human being, that the human being God has created comes fully alive. The human being recognizes itself and its partner, Adam, alone in the garden, never speaks a word until there is a kindred soul to speak to. In Genesis 1, speech is an act of God, but in Genesis 2, speech is a capacity that human beings draw out of one another. The world that we share, this creation that we share is exquisite and marvelous and beautiful. The creation in Genesis 2 is born not simply out of a desire for God to have something beautiful. It is born out of empathy and compassion and even a holy longing. God makes the things of this world so that we are not lonely. What do you suppose would, would change if you walked out the door every morning and looked up at the treetops and, and saw this world as a gift from God who gives it all to you so that you will not be alone? And then there's the question of how would God recognize our loneliness if God had not also first been lonely. As the poet Johnson says, after the world had been created, God walked around it and God looked around and all that God had made, God looked at his sun and looked at his moon and looked at his little stars. He looked on his world with all its living things, and God said, I'm lonely still. Then God sat down on the side of a hill where he could think by a deep, wide river. He sat down with his head in his hands. God thought and thought till he thought, I'll make me a man. Maybe Maybe you are somewhat uncomfortable with the idea of a God who created everything that there is 
out of an aching need for company and connection and love. But when I hear that, when I hear of a divine being, one who is vulnerable and caring, one who loves nothing more than communion with others, a creator who is inclined to love, even to suffer for the world and all of its creatures, when I hear of that God, it is a God whom I can love back. This is a God who is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. A God who will later come to us again as our brother Jesus. Friends, you are made from dirt. You are filled with the breath of life. And you are made in love, for love. Alleluia. Amen.